0: Welcome to A Moment of Bach, where we take our favorite moments from the composer's vast musical output, just a minute's worth or even a few seconds, and show you why we think they are remarkable. We are your hosts, Alex and Christian Giebert. This is the second episode of a two-part series on the Bach Double, which is the concerto for two violins in D minor, BWV 1043. If you haven't caught up with last week's episode, You don't necessarily have to listen to it for this one to make sense, but it is about the same piece of music, so we suggest you check that out too. Mm -hmm. The Bach double, yeah. So we're doing a double
1: on the double. But first, everybody, we've got to take a second to remind our listeners, or let you know if you don't know this already, that. The organization which which has been kind enough to let us use their audio examples is the Netherlands Bach Society, and they are very they are a very special group. So they're they're very open-minded, and they have all the, their stuff up on YouTube, and they have this ambitious project to record everything onto YouTube that Bach ever wrote. Yeah, all of Bach. It is it is the all of Bach video project, but also. They turn 100 this year, they celebrate a huge anniversary and we think that our listeners should know about it since they are the source of our music on this podcast. They were founded in 1921 and the reason they were founded is to play the St. Matthew Passion in the great church in Narden.
0: And at the end of that season in 1922, they put on
1: that performance, that first performance and they've grown a lot and changed a lot over the past century. There's a great timeline uh, on their website that you can check out all kinds of articles that were written over the last hundred years and see how the the uh, society has developed over the years. To the point where it is now, they now play on authentic Baroque instruments and they have fully modernized into the internet age. Uh, I think a, a lot better actually than a lot of other organizations. Yeah. But their motto is Bach for everyone. That's why they are allowing us to use their music, I think. Because it's that, that's a very special thing. I mean, we talked about it on the very first episode, Alex, we, were, right. we talked about how that's, that's a thing, but you can't just use music in a podcast and not, <laughs> not ask, you know? Yeah, <laughs> because even though the music of Bach to perform it
0: is free public domain, you can't use someone else's professionally made recording without permission.
1: Yeah, it will be copyrighted automatically and usually. Th- there's a lot of international laws that make things a little complicated and definitely people on podcasts all the time play stuff without asking and usually get away with it. But since since we knew we were going to be playing a lot of Bach and uh, we wanted access to a lot of different Bach works, that's why we asked them and and that we're glad we did that.
0: Right, and anything we've played that hasn't been Bach or has been... I mean, there's not, there's hardly any time we ever do that. But in, like, in the last episode, for example, the clip from the Mozart Requiem that we played is from a public domain recording of that. So, but you can't find that for everything. So that's why we're indebted to the Netherlands Bach Society for providing us with such high quality recordings of all this Bach music.
1: Yeah, it really is. You you should check out, you should check out their website, listener, if you haven't already. You should just check out their organization, if you are fortunate enough to live. Uh, near them, you should attend one of their many, many concerts because they do dozens and dozens of concerts uh every year, and they're they're always they're always performing. It's it's really really incredible.
0: Yep, one day Christian and I would like to make it out there. We've actually both been to the Netherlands for a short amount of time, but
1: someday. Yeah, I wish we'll we go, had, uh, had the time. To <laughs> we'll have... go see a concert. Yeah, we didn't really know about it then, but I wish we had had the time to to do that. But th- they're a great organization. They. They want to make stuff free of charge to see on the internet, and they're always looking for new, interesting things to do. And they have this Young Bach Fellowship where they, they train amateur musicians in the area that they're located, and they have these education programs. It's really amazing. Listen to what they have to say about Bach in general. This is so great. It is awe-inspiring how Bach has remained so relevant across the ages. We can always go to him for inspiration, emotion, comfort, and reflection. In a hectic world, Bach's music is a constant factor for each generation. Bach for everyone. Yes. The Netherlands Bach Society uses period instruments. They they haven't always done this. This was more of a recent thing, relatively. But they do now, and... They use Baroque violins with the gut strings and everything and harpsichords and Baroque oboes and flutes. Everything is trying to be authentic. Of course, it's not just the instruments and the way they sound, but it's the way these people are playing, right, Alex? I mean, you can't, if you sit down and play a piece of Baroque music, even if you have the proper instrument, the notes actually don't say everything, right? This is not the same anymore. In the modern day, when you or I write music and then notate it and then print it and deliver it to the players who are going to play it, they are expecting to see a lot of information. Dynamics, like how loud to play, when to grow, when to soften, how to articulate notes. These are things that are now notated, right? And if if there are going to be any particular ornamentations, they want to see those written out. They want to see everything written out. You're not just going to count on them to figure everything out and do a little bit of ad-libbing or improv, unless this is sort of a, in an idiom of like folk music or jazz where that's common. But in that case, there's probably less emphasis on being able to read notated music. Right. So we're talking about like the most, you know, the stuffiest situation of a concert hall kind of music, like orchestra music. You have to write everything out now. So then how are they performing this music of Bach where, where his notes are a little bit more bare bones. How do they know how to decorate it? Because they're not just playing it, right, Alex? They're not. If they're just playing the notes, it wouldn't sound right. It would sound incredibly stark and cold Angular, unadorned. So what's happening is that they have all of this musical training in Baroque ornamentation. Because the Baroque style is one of beautifying and refinement and ornamentation. Just think about the architecture. This is I always like to think of physical features of a building. It helps me think about music because you, you can compare it to, to, to a building. Something like the St. Peter's Basilica Mm, or yeah. things that were built a little later than that even in the tr- truly in a baroque way. Think about those buildings. Every single wall is covered in some kind of ornamentation, some kind of embossing, some little little flourishes here and there that stick out from everything, you know. Mm. Little statues, little carvings, little etchings, little curly cues, balls and beads and got to ha- we, we need to have some <laughs> we need to have someone on here who has who like an architect so they can they can give us some some technical things because i i honestly don't know any of the lingo but but all the beautiful adornment that is on all of all of those buildings and the gold plated stuff and all the paintings and everything that's what baroque music is so the notation does not have that because the notation even though as you said alex one time box handwriting is really nice and neat the notation doesn't have any of that because right. the notation isn't the point. Yeah, the notation isn't the art itself. The point is what comes out of the instruments when they play. And that's why the training of the people in this time period was honestly a little different. Now we, we have to read the music literally, and the composers are supposed to put some of that stuff in, most of it.
0: Yeah, Well, and we're more specialized. In like a violinist today studied violin right a violinist then was also a composer among a lot of other things it was just it was
1: a it was a really well-rounded yeah. education everybody yeah, was exactly. composed all the musicians were composers yes this this is a concept that i don't, i think we've only ever talked about once alex yeah but in that era it's it was so different i love i love it so much more because now everything is so specialized now alex and i we went to some various universities and we met some people and you'll meet someone in their major is cello performance you know yeah and like then they'll go and do a master's in cello performance and they might even do a doctoral dma degree in cello performance and they will branch out a little bit in their academic studies to study something but actually not branch out but rather dig in even deeper and probably study something extremely specific about bow cello bows or something you know Mm -hmm. like of the of 1824 or like something like ultra specific <laughs> yeah. and it's the complete opposite of how it used to be it used to be in box time you had to do everything you had to teach music you had to repair instruments you had to be able to compose at a rudimentary level so that people could read and perform and, music yeah. you had to lead the choir and you had to lead the, choir. the cantor singer and you the... had to lead the choir from singing yeah. from a singing position you had to lead the orchestra from a playing string instrument yeah. position mm-hmm. bach did this with the viola bach was a was a violist you had to be able to lead everyone from the keyboard you couldn't just not have keyboard skills nowadays some musicians just don't have just don't play piano or something or one of the keyboards but back then i, I think everyone would have would have had that that skill it was a different time and the, the way the music was performed was different. To play that music now and to inhabit, try to, try to get into the head of the people back then and to try to really produce Bach as authentically as possible, you have to do something like the Netherlands Bach Society is doing, where those people are actually all trained in their modern instruments, I'm sure. But then they also have, in addition to that, the Baroque training. Right. So this brings me to the moment that we're talking about today. Because the moment in the third movement which occurs several times, is one of Baroque ornamentation. It's actually written in, but it doesn't say what it is. It's just that you'd have to know, and it would be easy to miss. And if you missed it, you just wouldn't play it right, and the effect would be lost. And what I'm talking about is, let's just play the very beginning of the very energetic third movement. Okay, and then it ends with this little figure at the end of the phrase. Since this is fast, it's easy to blow right by that, right? But we listen to the interview of the two violin soloists, which you quoted last week, Alex. The violin soloists, Emily and Shunsuke are talking. And Shunsuke notes that even after playing something this famous like a million times, he's still finding new things in it that he was just blowing right by. And he actually uses the word moment, which made me think, oh, this would be a good moment uh, for our podcast. And he talks about that figure that we just played. And in fact, it is a Baroque ornamentation. It is a Baroque figure. Right. Um, When I say ornamentation, I, I don't mean that he's like doing a little fancy trill on it or something. I'm just saying that it's one in a huge set of different Baroque figures that are supposed to emulate something emotional. And this one is like a sigh. In German, this is called the Seufzer, the sighing motif. Yeah, you have to look harder and harder almost because you get a little used to it. You get, you get used to, you know, I actually didn't realize that, you know, for example, uh, okay, there's a third one. There, there's such a, I don't know, yeah, such a slick. Moment there for the for the for the <laughs> first violin, you know, I didn't I didn't see that uh, little zoiftzer little sighing uh, figure uh, until I looked at it this time. I got you know I I just played right past it, you know or you know little things like that 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 um, that always are deserving of attention. I think that's that's really kind of to forget that you know this piece so well. Um, if you're playing baroque music without recognizing that this is uh, zeufzer, you will probably just blow right by that. And I'm sure we can actually find recordings where they just play right through it. But to stress that first note and then come off on that second one in just the right way to make it sound like a little sigh, you'll really capture it, even though it's going by so fast. There's so much, it's so dense. There's so much in here. You have to catch this as it goes. There were sighing motifs last week in the second movement, that gorgeous pastoral thing. It was so beautiful. those things those things can happen slow and they can happen fast. But in something like this movement that's decorated so ornately with all these fast figures, it's not just the notes they're playing.
0: Yeah, and that's, that's where being a professional musician comes in with all its training, right? Especially if you're trained for a specific style like Baroque performance practice. And what I mean is this, yes, in a rehearsal, the artistic director will be able to help Performers and and model things and say go like this da 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 and then they do it but also like 95% of that has to just be ingrained in the person anyway before they get to the rehearsal because based on their own experience right their own musical intuition Because otherwise you would waste too much time in rehearsal because rehearsal time is precious as we conductors know as soon as you've got a Group of people in a room together who are ready to make music. You don't want to waste their time <laughs> so Mm-hmm. That's part of it and I've always said this to my groups that you know part of what we do is to teach them how to be musicians right how to have this how to have the right intuitions on how to phrase certain musical lines and things like that. And then a lot of times if they're trying to if they're trying to overthink something that's happening, then I'll just tell them to relax and use their own musical intuition and just mm. phrase it And rather than even telling them how to do it, I just let them do it, and then if that doesn't work, then I'll I'll model something by singing through it, and they can hear the the various um, ways I want to phrase something by singing through. Da 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 da. Singing is key, yeah, yeah. And even if it's not, even if it's an instrumental ensemble, it still helps to do that,
1: especially if it is. I think. Yeah. I mean, this this comes up a lot with with both of us, Alex, is that we'll be directing an ensemble and they'll be playing playing the notes straight, and sometimes the source material is even maybe an arrangement of something vocal. And in that case, we have to just sit down, take a break from the notes from playing, take a break from playing, and just maybe listen to or sing it. Listen to the song that it was based on, or if it's not based on a particular song, like like this Bach example we have here, just still sing through the phrases with your voice and figure out, oh, it's a sigh. It's a sigh. Of course it's called that. It's not, it's not called like a violin swell in german it's called a sigh it, it mimics something you do with your voice but more importantly with the character of your voice it it's something you do during a sentence as you express something as you're speaking or singing or even emoting because it's all this is all emotional
0: that's true and that kind of brings me to one thing about the metaphor of music that i've touched on before but not not in this particular way and that is that a lot of the instrumental things that you hear in music can have a metaphor in, in voice, right? It's, it sounds like someone's singing it, if, especially if it's a lovely lyrical thing. But then something like this, where it's a little more rock and roll and these notes are all over the place and they're fast, right? You, mm-hmm. you wouldn't, I shouldn't say you wouldn't hear this on a vocal line because this is a typical Bach vocal line, right? A lot of these cantatas and things have really fast and difficult things, instrumental style, right? That you have to sing. But I guess my point is, When those things happen and when it's this furious, fast, intense music, it doesn't feel as much like someone singing it, and yet you have to bring out those moments like what Shinsuke Seito was saying. You have to bring out those moments of sighing, those moments of relief, and those moments that sound a little more humanistic, because it brings out the contrast in the music when you do that. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, and the contrast between consecutive uh, parts of a phrase, or in one case, this sighing figure its phrase is preceded by that rock and roll, like chug, chug, chug of, mm-hmm. of them doing these eighth note with each yeah. playing two notes each. They're doing double stops and the two soloists are playing these chords. And it's just really actually kind of not ornamental. It's almost the opposite. Like for a moment, it's just headbanging. I think Shunsky Sato says it's it's yeah. not really Baroque, but then it switches back. And then there's a Baroque phrase that is the be- same as the beginning of the, the opening of the movement. And then it has another sigh. And these things all these things are all consecutive. And it's it's really kind of an emotional roller coaster if you think of it that way. And if you play it that way, you can easily hear a performance of the Bach Double where they just play the notes because yeah. they understand it as a technical exercise that's really fun to play and hear because the because fast notes is exciting concert, you know? Yeah. But that's not what this is. It is a series of intense emotional phrases and gestures that are all densely packed for an emotional journey.
0: Yeah. Oh, man, is it so easy to just coast and play the notes sometimes, you know? Or just sing the notes without giving any sort of interesting musical thing. And as a performer in an ensemble, sometimes you necessarily don't end up using your musical intuition to try and phrase things because you feel weird because you're the only one that's going to do it and that's where the director does need to come in and encourage those things right Mm -hmm. but eventually you grow as a musician and you use your intuition and when everybody does that and they're in a group with with like-minded
1: musicians that's when the magic happens and if you're thinking to yourself how exactly is that done like what's actually happening musically different when i do that And the answer is the Zeufzer thing is exactly what's happening, in that it usually comes down to stressing the right notes and really laying off the ones that are not stressed. Yeah, because someone's gonna someone's gonna play that, they're gonna play it da-da-da, and then someone else is gonna play it bum bada. And that second one is correct. Has
0: so much more character.
1: Yeah, it's it's almost I would go so far as to say that the first one is wrong. In this style, yeah. Because even though the notes say that, a Baroque instrumentalist must play more than the notes.
0: And now, here is that Zeufze, Sighing, moment from the third movement of the Bach double. If this introduction to a musical moment has inspired you to hear the entire Bach double concerto, please see the link in the episode description to see its performance led by Shinsuke Seto and Emily Deans of the Netherlands Bach Society. Do you want to hear our new episodes as we release them? Find us on your podcast app and hit subscribe. And that way, every time a new episode drops, it will download automatically on your device. Thanks so much to the people who have been rating and reviewing us, especially on iTunes, that really helps other people find the podcast. If you like the podcast, please go on iTunes and leave us a
1: nice review. And huge thanks to the Netherlands Box Society for providing us with these wonderful audio examples. We really couldn't have gotten anything better, I think. Yeah, it's just high quality stuff. And also congratulations to them on 100 years Yeah, congratulations. Alex, what will we be talking about next week?
0: Next week, we'll look at an organ work, the chorale prelude on Nun komm dir heiden heiland, which is a tune you might be familiar with if you listened to episode two of season two or episode two of season one. In both of those, we talked about a cantata based on this tune, but this is an organ alone work based on this tune, BWV 659.
1: Until next time, enjoy those moments.